friends. There's a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> you can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts. Especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond to dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. As I sat down to write this message, a message to cap off Hunger Month, a revelation hit me. I have had many more years of experience working closely with food production and distribution than I have years of experience in pastoring. My first job at the very young age of 11 was in a warehouse stacked with pallets holding 50-pound bags of feed for livestock. I would throw these 50-pound bags on my young shoulders and place them in the back of pickup trucks and buggies pulled by horses for the Amish. My next job that I held for over five years before leaving for college was in the local grocery store. There, I stocked shelves with gallons of milk, yogurt, eggs, and cheese. I would meticulously check sell-by dates on packages and fill crates with expired food before wheeling them down to a trash chute and tossing them into the void. During the first two summer breaks of my college years, I returned to my home in rural Pennsylvania and worked at the Pepperidge Farm Factory where I worked in the packaging department for hot dog and hamburger rolls. Each day I watched thousands upon thousands of pounds of bread move before my eyes into plastic bags before they were loaded into trucks and shipped off. At the same time, it was my job to throw imperfect bread into gigantic blue bins each bin holding up to 1,000 pounds of perfectly edible bread, which would be wheeled down a long hallway and dumped into the back of a trailer to be discarded. During those two summers working at the factory, I cannot even begin to imagine the amount of food I threw away as part of my job. <clears throat> After graduating college, I began working at Starbucks where the shock of food waste revisited me once again. Every 21 minutes, a timer beeps on the silver cubes holding one of four varieties of brewed coffee at Starbucks. After 21 minutes, the coffee was no longer considered fresh, and we would pull the cube from the warming station and position it over a sink and hold down the spigot. Each cube could hold upwards of two gallons of coffee. In our training at Starbucks, we learned that one coffee tree will only produce enough beans for one pound of coffee per year. As that coffee plummeted down the drain, 
so did all the energy it took to grow, harvest, roast, and ship the fruit of one coffee tree for an entire year. That happened for four varieties of coffee, every 21 minutes, every day, for 365 days a year at just one Starbucks location in the Southwest Hills of Portland, Oregon. There were a few years, although, where I seemed to find myself on the other side of the trash chute. As I sank deeper into the disillusionment with my evangelical faith during my college years, I began gravitating toward the crunchier side of Christianity. Soon I found myself hanging out with the edgier folks at my college, people studying much cooler things than youth ministry, things like anthropology. Soon I started attending a church in Philadelphia with them called Circle of Hope. The average age of that church likely hovered around 24 and was made up of flannel wearing Christian hippies and hipsters who at the close of service congregated outside on the city sidewalk to smoke hand-rolled cigarettes before boarding their fixed gears bicycles to ride back home. It was a culture shock for me. But what was profound was that somehow this church was creating space for young people who found themselves in a new Christian territory. After one of those services, a young man came up to me to greet me and said, hey, can I get you some spaghetti? I just whipped some up. As an always poor and hungry college student, I happily accepted. As he disappeared into the back room, another congregant shouldered up with me and said, hey, uh, did Aaron just offer you spaghetti? I told him that he had, and he replied, just a heads up, Aaron gets all his food from the dumpster. The spaghetti is good, but I just wanted to let you know. As I ate the dumpster spaghetti, I was intrigued by Aaron, and by the end of our conversation, I had his phone number and a plan to meet him at a Trader Joe's dumpster later that evening. I pulled into a Trader Joe's parking lot around 11 p.m., to see Aaron already standing in a dumpster and placing trash bags full of discarded food onto the pavement. The dissonance for me only deepened because in order to get to the Trader Joe's, I had to drive by the cathedral-like building that was the site of my weekly internship. An Episcopal gathering in one of the richest zip codes in the entire country. Mansions owned by some of the country's most wealthy doctors, lawyers, and politicians literally encircled the bell tower and stained glass windows of this church that I worked at. To give you a perspective of the wealth in this neighborhood and congregation, I give you this brief example. When the congregation decided it was time to update the bells in the bell tower, they received a quote that was over $1 million. I remember seeing the announcement for the fundraising campaign in the bulletin one week. And within two weeks, the announcement in the bulletin was, thanks for helping us raise $1 million for the new bells. In just two weeks, the congregation had raised $1 million. 
And now here I was just a mile away from that reality, standing inside a Trader Joe's dumpster. I couldn't help but think of the two worlds I was straddling in that moment. There seemed to be two different visions of Christianity held so chaotically in my heart. Abundance. One million dollars raised in two weeks for bells. Abundance. Produce and sandwiches wrapped in plastic and discarded. On Sunday morning, I worshipped with wealthy lawyers and doctors with million-dollar bells. And on Sunday evenings, I worshipped with young people in a room above a storefront and was invited to hang out in a dumpster. The absurdity of it all was just too blatant. While I certainly felt God's presence in the cathedral, I must say I felt it much more in that dumpster. I was living in the paradox of being a Christian in the United States, experiencing the kingdom of God while living in an empire. We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Those thoughts have never left me, and who I am as a release minister today is informed by that moment. What does it mean to be a Christ follower while being surrounded by the absurdity and destruction of empires? What does it mean to be a Christ follower under the daily influence of a culture of disposability? What does it mean to be a Christ follower in the midst of injustice that feels too gigantic to address? What does it mean to be a Christ follower when it seems like solutions to our problems get tangled up in the bureaucracy of what ifs and statements like, there is a right way to do this. If we are followers of the Jesus way, we live in this paradox. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. It says, once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, y'all. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. I love that Jesus addresses this question, dismantling the idea that there are to be some grand events to point to the kingdom of God coming to earth. No. This new way of living, this new way, territory, isn't waiting for us after we die. It is now. It is here. And each and every day, we must push up against the impulses, the temptations, and injustices presented to us as empire solutions in a world so desperately in need of Easter absurdity. We are tasked with ironic, improbable, imaginative, disruptive, creative, and profound ways of loving our neighbors. Here are some queries for open worship. How are you noticing and living within the paradox that we live within the absurdities of empire 
while also working to point to another way? How have you lived into the possibilities of imagination and creativity to address suffering and injustice? When is a time that your perspective greatly shifted? What brought about that shift? Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that so many of you are finding it to be helpful and as a way to stay connected with what's going on with us here at West Hills Friends. If you'd like to stay connected with us in other ways, we have a couple options for you. You can check out our website. It's westhillsfriends.org. There you'll find some more information about who we are as a community. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook account by just searching for West Hills Friends. You can also follow us on Instagram. We have a Instagram account with the name West Hills Friends. So we hope that you'll get connected with us in other ways. And again, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast.